Welcome to the Williamstown Church of Christ podcast. This is a sermon recording from one of our Sunday worship gatherings. We meet every Sunday at 10am on the corner of John Street and Douglas Parade, and we'd love to meet you. For more information, head to our website, willychurch.org.au. Enjoy and God bless you. Mark chapter 3, verses 7 to 19. Jesus withdrew his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd of followers followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to Judea, Jerusalem, and the regions across the Jordan, around the Tyre, and Sidon. Because the crowd he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him, for he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Jesus went up to the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designed him, them apostles, that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out. The de- out these demons. <laughs> these are the twelve he appointed. Simon, whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Bogginers. Bogginers. So good. Thank you so much that your word is living and active. Thank you that it's sharp than a double-edged sword and that this morning you're going to speak. You are speaking. And we just pray over Mia right now. Your peace, your courage, your confidence, your boldness would be hers. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. Amen. Megan, can I bring one? No, I just didn't bring one and I know that clock is royally dead. Actually, times have you done a reading? Five? All right, let me tell you about the first time I did my first reading. It was from Psalms, 
All right, speaking to the microphone. I was trying to get away from using it. I was reading from Psalms, okay? And it was a church a little bit bigger than this. And I was probably older than you, so it's way worse. I got up and I said very confidently, today's reading is from Psalms. <laughs> and I accentuated the silent P. And apparently I did it so confidently that nobody cared. <laughs> so my, my encouragement to you is you just read the big words however you think they're meant to sound. <laughs> Chances are everyone else will agree that you've said it properly because they won't know any better. <laughs> read and read confidently, that's what I learned about Psalms. Um, today, thank you for having me back. I'm here to talk to you about the verse that Josh just read so well. There is so much happening in the Gospel of Mark, so I'm really glad that you have dedicated yourselves to going through the whole book and having a series and thinking it through. I promise not to take up too much of your time, she says as she holds the watch, knowing that she may through over time. Um, the Gospel of Mark is really fascinating. I'm sure you've heard some background on it, but the fact is it's a very short book. It's a very short Gospel, and don't, don't be fooled by that. Don't think that that means that Mark had very little to say. That actually means that Mark knew his good news so well that he could say it succinctly, right? He, he has 16 chapters where he says, I'm going to treat you like intelligent people. I'm going to give you the richness and the depth of the life of Jesus in such a way that you can take it at face value because I have seen his face and I know his value and I'm giving it to you today. Like, there is such a depth and a richness to Mark. And I really hope that in this series you begin to mine it and love it and understand it for yourself. Is that okay? Yeah, it's just a wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, if, we did, if we were to take the four Gospels and look at them a little bit thematically, you might see that each Gospel kind of addresses a different question, a different idea and a different audience and what that audience is processing and going through for that time. Because Mark is written very early, um, like any like conservative day anywhere from... 50 to 60 AD, very early. Some people even say as, as early as the 40s. All the way through to John, which conservative dating could come as late as 90 AD. So, like, the Gospels span a very long period of time. And if you think about it thematically, they each address a different question. For instance, the question that Matthew addresses as Gospel, like good news, the good news of Matthew is, how do we deal with change? I, I do not like change. New Year's scare me because they asked me to do me differently to the one I just did. And if you look at my list of New Year's resolutions, you'd see that the 2018 list looks a lot like the 2017 list, which looks a lot like the 2016 list. I don't like change. I'm not good at it. It's scary. It asks me to face into my inadequacies. Um, change is hard. But Matthew really deals with, there is good news when you're dealing with change. And Matthew deals with that because he's a Jewish person writing to a Jewish audiences who suddenly have all these Gentiles show up in their churches. Who might be like us, having a whole bunch of people turn up in our church that don't speak our language and don't come from our community. And, you know, they come from the eastern suburbs. Or they, they come from the really western suburbs, whatever it might be. Matthew deals with how, how do we do change. Luke is answering the question, how do you mature in service? Right? Luke talks a lot about ministering to people on the margins, the women and the children and um, the, the unclean people and the people who we don't expect to meet and need Jesus. Luke's good news is you, you can mature in service. You can, you can embrace difference. John's big question that he gives good news to is like, okay, what are we going to do about love? Are we lovable? Can we love others? Does God love us? Is God love himself? That's, that's John's beautiful, beautiful 
uh, exploration of that question. And Mark, God bless him, is really needed for this day and age because he addresses the question of what do we do with pain? What do we do with suffering? What do we do in a world that is hurting and broken? And you can imagine this first century Mark dealing with a world that's occupied by the Romans, dealing with a world that is oppressing his, his liberties, oppressing his freedoms, trying to sway his mind. There's lots of propaganda floating around in the world. You know, Mark really deals with his good news is there's good news for all of us who are dealing with brokenness. There's good news for all of us who are dealing with the world where we just don't know if it's going to get any better, but we certainly have a fear that it could get a lot worse. Does that make sense to you? That this is where Mark's good news sits. And the beauty of chapter 3 is what you have is Jesus calling 12, and then in verse 14, which I'm going to spend most of the time on today, talking about how this affects our lives. What has happened to us because of Jesus? And so if you've ever seen films like Ocean's Eleven, or The Magnificent Seven, or Gangster Squad, or anything like that where there is a mission to be achieved and suddenly a team is assembled. Have you seen those movies? And you go and you meet the demolitions expert, we need one of them. And we need a getaway driver, so we go and meet one of them. And we need a sharpshooter, so we go and redeem the drunken, you know, Western hero, and we need one of them. Have you, have you seen these films where a crew is amassed? Where, um, you know, the Italian job would be another one, where there is an ultimate goal that we need to achieve and suddenly this, this team of people come together. They're all very different. Usually there's a lot of conflict um, in the team. You know, the Avengers is one of these films as well. People just don't get along. Um, and teams assemble to achieve this goal. But the 12 disciples are this squad. The 12 disciples are this team, and they're here to achieve the bringing in of the kingdom of God. And we are the descendants of that team. We are the extension of that squad of people brought in to achieve the same goal. And the goal that we are achieving is a life with Jesus, and a life together, and a life that cares. And what you'll see is that if, you, if you're ever struggling reading the Bible, and we've talked about this a lot, lots of different tips and tricks, but one good tip is to take a pencil and start circling all the verbs, all the action words, all the doing words, because the doing words will show you the progression of what's happening. You know? They'll, they'll help you realise what's happening and what happened next and what happened next and what happened next. And because Mark writes his gospel the way he does, there are lots of verbs. It's very fast-paced. It's very quick-moving. And so you get down to verse 14, and this is what... Oh, we'll read from 13. This is what it says. Jesus went up on a mountain and he called, that's the first verb, he called to him those he wanted and they came. So the first point is, Jesus called and there was a response. We'll go back to movies if you've seen Anchorman, news team, assemble. And the news team assembles, right? There is a call put out and there is a response. Jesus is calling, God is calling. And God has been calling you for a very long time. You have a response to make. God called, Jesus called them, and they came. That's the proper response. He appointed 12, designating them apostles. Now, the word for called and the word for designating are different. The word for called is an invitation. I called you to my home. I invited you to my home. The word for designating is named. He named them apostles. The first thing you do when a baby is born, after you say, ten fingers, Ten toes, are we all okay? The next thing you do is you name the child. You give it a name. 
And that is the first thing you do when we when we introduce ourselves. I don't say, hi, my name's Mia, I'm 5'1, I'm short, I bite my fingernails, I have bad habits, I don't like change. The first thing I do is, hi, my name is Mia, right? Any story of something that is good and true and beautiful starts with the naming of that thing. Right? Anything real has a name, right? He named them apostles. He gave them a name. He knew who they were. And if you backtrack through scripture just for a little bit, you will find this picture of God always calling us by name. First he calls to us. And the way he calls to us is he names us. Just just think about this really quickly with me in scripture. Moses from the burning bush. Exodus 3. Moses. Moses. And his response is, here I am. What do you want with me? Before he even gets to the bush saying, who are you? Well, there's a bush burning. What, what's going on? The first thing that happens is that God calls to Moses by name. Moses. Moses. Think about Samuel. 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 Speak, Lord. I'm listening. Samuel. What about the, the lady, uh, the gardener at the tomb? When Mary rushes, Mary says, Oh, gardener, what have you done with him? What does the gardener say? Mary. Mary. Every time you see God first initiating towards you, if you are sitting there wondering where is God in my life, it's not up to you to go and find God. It's just up to you to respond to his calling of you. He has always been calling you. And he has always been naming you. Designating you with a name. Giving you a name. What are some of the names? Like this is the interactive part, not the hypothetical part. The interactive part. What are some of the names that God has given us? What does he name us? Children. Yes. He names us children. He designates us children. Extrapolated. We belong to him. He's responsible for us. His pleasure to take care of us. He knows that we, we, we're not going to get it right every time. There's grace for us. There's lenience for us. When the baby cries in the middle of the night, what you don't do is roll over and say, Oh, stop crying! And not get up. What you do is you roll over and you say, Oh, stop crying! But then you get up. And you go and attend to the baby because there is grace in the parenting relationship. When my life is a mess and I sit in the pews weeping and I'm crying for God... He doesn't roll over and go back to sleep on my tears. He goes, oh, she's in pain. And he comes and attends to me. We're children. We're children. He names us children. What else does he name us? What kind of names has he given you? Is. Is, yeah. So everything that God is and everything that God has and everything that God loves, he has bequeathed to who? To us. Is to the kingdom of God which means we are not sitting idly by with nothing to do. We have a family business. We are involved. We have, a, like, if you've ever been unemployed, God never left you unemployed. He made you an heir. He gave you a title. He gave you a job. He gave you an opportunity. He gave you something to do. You can't say you're worthless. You can't say you're purposeless. You can't say you're too old. You can't say you're too young. You can't say you're too disabled. You can't say you're too female. You can't say you're too single. Because you're an heir of God, he named you such, which means everything he has to give, he intends to give to you. What other names has he given you? Beloved, this is where you 
need to read John, every second word. Oh, beloved. Oh, beloved. And it's because John writes very late in the piece, and he's an old man, and he loves to spout God's love for us. Beloved, 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 let us love one another. For love is God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows love. Right? Beloved, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I would have told you. Beloved, yes, he calls you beloved. Every time. And very rarely do I go and enunciate to someone and address them as, oh, beloved, if I'm not willing to actually live a life of love with them. It's a very scary word to go and confess and profess love for someone. So I only do it with someone that I'm actually going to live with and love with. And here is God calling you beloved. Beloved. What else? Give me another name. Bride. Say it. Bride. Bride, yeah. Okay. So whether you're male or female, if you, if you have been in a marriage or you intend to be in a marriage or you have observed a good marriage, to take a bride, to take one who you will covenant with and commit to and give your life to and share your name with and, and live connected and vowed to one another, a bride, especially in an ancient culture where the bride was not responsible for herself, where she didn't have to provide for herself, where she wasn't expected to be independent and live on her own, but could actually rely on her husband to provide all of her needs, to keep her safe all the time, to protect her from harm, and to give her a place in the world, yes, he calls you God. Yes, he pledges to do all of that for you. And to you men as well. I know it's hard in a, in a, in a culture that continually emasculates you, he still calls you God. And it's not to have a crack at your manliness, it's to say, actually, I'm willing to be so much more than I know you can be, and I will take care of you. I will provide for you, and I will teach you to do this for others. Close your What else? Let's have another name. Because there are so many, and it's just so easy to forget them. It is so easy to forget them. If you've ever said to someone, I'm so sorry, I'll probably forget your name, I'm so bad at names, can I, can I challenge you that you actually have forgotten your own name from God more often than you have forgotten? You have forgotten that he has called you beloved. You have forgotten that he has called you mine. You have forgotten that he has called you wonderful. So often I have said, oh God, there's nothing wonderful about me. Do I need to repeat it? I'm five one, I'm short, I bite my fingernails, I have horrible habits. I'm not that intelligent, you just haven't worked it out yet. Like, so often, okay, I have so many names for myself. I feel so insignificant. And my insignificance comes from my poor memory to remember the names God has given me. He called you wonderful. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful, beautiful. It means you're filled with beauty. Beauty. The thing that will save the world. The thing that can look at a cross as an instrument of torture and say it's the most beautiful symbol we have. Beauty filled you are. I'm not talking about your appearance. Although I challenge you, you've been made in the image of God, so if you ever rag away your appearance in front of me, I will not cope with it well. And neither should you. And neither should you. You're wonderful, which means there is always a part of you that you won't understand, and that part is not to be shunned. That is the mystical, wonderful thing that, that your relationship with God dwells in, that you are invited to go and explore. I'm wonderful. Go and find your wonder this year. What is it about me that makes me wonderful? You know? 
One of the wonderful things about Lockie is that no matter which key he starts in, he can find the right one. And it's not just about his musical ability here. I've worked with Lockie for a few years now, and it doesn't really matter what crowd he's a part of, he'll, he'll find the heartbeat of that crowd. It's, it's a wonderful thing in here. What other names has God given you? Just do one more and move on. Disciples. Disciples, yeah! He, he's given you the name disciples, which means, like, in an ancient practice, he said, I will be your master, I'll teach you a set of skills, you will apprentice under me, I will disciple you. You have the opportunity to become like me. You know, if you're like me and you think the best parts of yourself are things that you probably don't want to share, because then you won't be unique in the world and you won't have much worth, that's not what Jesus did at all. Jesus said, I will make you all to be like me. I will come and have you all be my disciples. I can lead you to good places. I can bring you to fulfillment. I can bring you to rest. And what's more, I can then make you agents to do the same thing for everyone else in the world. This is how the world changes. It's not through petitions. It's not through Facebook. It should be through governments, but often it's not. It's through people who are willing to be like Jesus and then help others see that they have the same potential. It's not conversion. It's not demanding that people be like Jesus. It's showing them that actually you inherently already are and helping you understand that. Right? So here we are in verse 13 and 14. He called them. He said, come. Here's an invitation. Come and be with me. And remember, if this is about a world of pain, then any moment that you are struggling, there is an invitation God is calling you. Come. Come to me. Come to me. Be with me. Stop. Sweetheart, stop worrying about the job. Stop worrying about the finances. Stop worrying about your family members who belong to me anyway. Stop worrying about your health. When it's beyond your control, sweetheart, just come to me. He will, he's calling. He has called, he is calling, and he will continue to call. God is calling. God designated. He named and we've just talked about those names. Every time you forget who you are and why you are, you must remember that he has named you. The very first thing he did was name you. God is a naming God. Like Lockie will tell you, he's been reading Genesis, Genesis 1, and he named the light day and the dark night. He named the creatures in the air and the creatures who walked on the earth. He named, right? God is a naming God. He's calling and he named. And then the verse goes on, he appointed 12, naming them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. That they might be with him. He called you and invited you to him. He named you as such that you would know your value and then he dwelt with you. He didn't do it over the phone. He didn't do it by a text message. He came incarnate to be with you and to be with you at the cellular level. Like just stick your hand in front of your face. Everybody do it. Look at mine, no fingernails. Look at yours. Right. Look at the lines on your hands. He came to be with you at the cellular level. The Lord had a hand, just like yours. Five fingers, one of them a thumb. Jesus had a hand. I challenge you to stand in front of the mirror and look at any body part of you and say, Jesus had ears. He had a nose. He had hair. He had feet. He had toes. Do any action during the day. 
and remind yourself that God is with you and was with you to the cellular level, that he walked, that he talked, that he laughed, that he cried. Sit with the dying and remember that Jesus died. Sit with the ones who have been born and remember that Jesus was born. Sit with a pregnant woman and remember that Jesus was conceived. God is with you at the cellular level, right? The eternal became part of the temporal. The bread of life would become hungry. The way himself would grow tired. Um, the strong would become weak. Like, with you. So that at no point in time could you ever say that I am alone. He called you. He invited you. He named you specifically that you might be with him. That there would be a witness in your life. That there would be a witness in this church. That there would be a witness in your location. That you would be a team. Even if you, by the world's standards, are alone forever, that you would be a team. That you would be a team. Mm-hmm. A witness. Emmanuel. He gave us his own name, Emmanuel. God is with you. That he might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority. Send them out. So then go and do likewise. I have done everything I can, he said so that you can do as I have done, so that the change will outlive me, as it were. You know? It's the greatest mark of a good teacher. I'm going to teach you so well that you can be better than I am, and you can do more than I have done. Jesus himself says it, that you will live to see greater things done in this world than I have done. And how many times have I read that passage and said, ah, it's hyperbole. It's exaggeration. It was to make me feel confident. When actually I don't have the luxury of that exegetically, I have to look at the word, I have to look at it truthfully and see the greater and know that it means more. That it means different. That it means an advancement of his kingdom. That his kingdom was not content to stay in Galilee and Israel in the first century world, but it has endured now to the 21st century and by our lives it will continue to endure. He called, he named, he spent time with us so that we could do our things. God doesn't set us up to serve him so that we, he can develop us in specific ways. He sets us up to serve him so that we can do with him what he did and what he's doing. Because there is no better goal than that. I'm sorry, I just can't outdo God. I just can't be smarter, better, holier, anything because I've built him. And his disciple, I've come under him. God is God and I'm not. I need to remember that. God is God and I'm not. God is God and you're not. God is God and we're not. And so our best option, our best shot, our best hope for a world that is in pain, much as it was in Mark's day, is to hear the call, respond to it. Remember our names. Be with God as he is with us and to do likewise. And it's all there in black and white in two verses. What a gift from life. What a gift. Just because we need to get a sense, was quoting for you, Dad. Aslan is always saying to his children and his people, I, you would not have called to me if I had not been calling to you first. You would not have known how to call out to me if I had not already been calling to you first. And these four verbs in Mark, called, named, with, and sent, 
is all a reflection of God first moving towards you. Moses, Samuel, Mary, Jack, Oki, Megan, Dave, Mia. God is always moving towards you. And if I can offer you anything in this series, and at the start of the year, it's these four things. Please don't forget. Please remember. Please listen for his calling. Call each other by the names he has given to you. Call each other wonderful. Call each other beloved. Call each other child. You know, I have this thing in me that when someone, there are certain people that when they call me child or kiddo, it's like a real, they just think I'm little. You think I'm young. I work in a male-dominated field with people usually twice my age. When they call me kid, it's hard. But when there are other people who sit down and they call me kid or child, I just feel this rush of love. Like, oh, I don't have to be the adult in this situation. Thank God for that. I don't have to be the brave one in this situation. They're aware that I'm hurting. I don't have to, you know, call each other child. Especially you older people who have the authority to do that for the children in the room. Call each other bride if you, if you want to, if you need to. Call each other committed ones, whatever it is. Use the names. Remember that God is with you. And then don't be afraid to be sent. Because you're being sent to what God has already done. You're being sent to what you already know to be true of Him. And that is the gift of love. That is the gift of serving the God we serve. Is that okay? Right. I'll, I'll, I'll pray for you now. Father, Son, and Spirit, we just thank you so much for the text, for the Bible, for men like Mark and Matthew and Mark who were so faithful, who were so courageous. Please, Lord, to May their words not just be words that we reflect upon as if they're from the past, but may they be words that we own as narrative in our life in the present as well. And so for this church, God, I pray that you would call and continue to call them, that you would be God calling in their lives, in their marriages, in their parenting, and their spiritual endeavors and their jobs. Would you be God calling? I pray, Lord, that you would name and rename and affirm those names to them over and over and over again. Don't let them forget. And may your names be so much louder than the names the world puts upon us. I pray, Lord, that there would be a rich deposit of your indwelling spirit within this place. That when people come to Willie, whether it's for parenting courses or when they hire the hall or when they come to a service on a Sunday, that there would be a tangible witness of your presence in this place. That it would be so thick that we would choke on it. That there would be so thick that we would taste it in the back of our throats for the rest of the day. That there would be a witness here. And Lord, I pray you send us boldly and bravely. That you send us to do likewise with fear, fierceness and fearlessness because we know we are being sent to you, Lord, wherever you are, to do what you have already done and you. Please do this, Lord. We unashamedly ask you for it, knowing that you are God.
Bless each one, and the people they represent, in Jesus' name.